The many meanderings of the first Gen X man. Excellent. Thank you, fake audience. Thank you so much. You know, you're so nice. I'm going to buy each and every one of you a fake ice cream cone. Here you go. Bing. And how about some fake sprinkles? Bing. Okay, well, now everybody needs fake napkins. Bing, 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 bing. That's enough. I, I think we should do the podcast now. Okay, let's go. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of The Many Meanderings of the First Gen X Man. I am your host and meandering fool, Will Boudreau. Wow, another episode already. This is a very special episode because while Many Meanderings has always been pandemic-produced, it is now officially also power outage produced. Thanks to the tropical storm with the unpronounceable name, this production is being made possible by our Generac XG10,000E generator. The Big Orange Beast. Love that generator. Proudly made in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I was out in the driveway at 6 a.m. changing the oil. Nothing makes you feel more like a man than getting up at the crack of dawn and changing the oil in the Jenny. Hey, honey, I just changed the oil in the Jenny. Gonna have some steak and eggs and then clear all those downed trees with my chainsaw. Then I'm gonna brand some cattle and end the day by lassoing some rattlesnakes. All in a day's work. Time continues to fly, which is good because I think we all kind of feel like we wish we could press the fast forward button on the year 2020. Happy Labor Day. Ooh, a break from the office. Thanks. Although half of us aren't working and everyone else is working from home, so it seems kind of unnecessary. Happy Halloween. Trick or treat. Just, just throw the candy in the bag while we stand over here. Good catch, kids. Remember, no eating before the candy sterilization bath later. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's go around the table and say what we're all thankful for this year. Or we could just skip right to the pecan pie. Merry Christmas! This year, kids, you're all getting books about post-apocalypse survival training. And, of course, Legos. Okay, Happy New Year! We made it! It's 2021! 2020 was a tough one! Hey, anyone else think that meteor is awfully close to our atmosphere? Not again. Uh, can we just skip to 2022? This week, we're going to continue our summertime series of topics and talk about a classic summer treat. It's not just a dessert. It's an icon. It's beloved by all. And it's the only food that we stick on top of a cone and eat with our tongues. I'm talking, of course, about pot roast. No, I'm just kidding. I'm talking about ice cream. Ice cream. Is he really going to talk about ice cream for this entire podcast? Yeah, so if you're on a diet, or you're lactose intolerant, or you're just a weirdo who for some reason doesn't love ice cream, you may want to exit now. Maybe check out one of the thousand or so true crime podcasts that are currently available. 
which I'm sure you'd like because if you don't love ice cream, there's an excellent chance that you are, in fact, a serial killer. So, ice cream, a huge part of summertime memories, old and not so old. Here in my neck of the woods, we were all thrilled when our beloved roadside ice cream stand, King Cone, opened back up, with new social distancing guidelines, of course. We've been going there since our boys were young enough to play in the sandbox they used to keep out by the picnic tables. That sandbox is just one of a billion unseen victims of the COVID pandemic. Wouldn't it be great when kids can gather in a sandbox by an ice cream stand and then drop their brand new cones in the sand and then cry until they get another one? Those are the days. I hope they're back soon. My earliest memories of eating ice cream was being handed something they had in the Boston area called a hoodsie. The brainchild of the local dairy, Hood, the hoodsie was simply a small paper cup filled with ice cream, half vanilla, half chocolate, if my memory serves. You had to peel back the top of a hoodsie by grabbing the small, half-moon-shaped paper tab and slowly pulling it off, revealing the frozen treasure inside. Hoodsies were on the small side, but they were a big treat when I was a kid. Remember, dessert for us was usually one or two cookies from the Keebler gang. And while those tree-dwelling elves do make a decent cookie, particularly the deluxe grams or the fudge stripes, they are nothing compared to the coolly sublime simplicity that is a hoodsie. When I got older, we would also get ice cream from the ice cream truck that patrolled our neighborhood during the late afternoon and early evening. I remember our ice cream truck was a pink pickup truck with the freezer mounted on the back. Not one of those fancy white trucks with the service window integrated into the side. I'd see those classic ice cream trucks on virtually every corner when I worked in Midtown Manhattan for a couple of decades. Serving busy, overheated New Yorkers Mr. Softy cones by the dozen. I stopped by one of those trucks more than once when I was heading out for the night for my gig at a Midtown ad agency. Likely eating that Mr. Softy cone was the healthiest thing I did that evening. But at our low-tech pink pickup on the mean streets of Maynard, Massachusetts, the ice cream of choice wasn't ice cream at all. It was a frozen delicacy known for some reason as Italian ice. It came in a paper cup about the size of a hoodsie, except inside it was an icy sweet treat that resembled a 7-Eleven slushy frozen solid. It came in flavors like lemon lime, cherry, or the favorite of my sisters and I, root beer. It was dark brown and hard as a rock. We'd attack our Italian ices with that weird flat wooden spoon with the sole focused goal of turning that hockey puck over to get to the bottom. And once it was flipped, you'd scrape all that melted deliciousness up with that wooden mini spade and roll your eyes back in sheer bliss. The syrup would accumulate at the bottom of the cup, so it was an intensely flavorful eating experience. I can taste that dark brown crystalline mush right now. And to think, it only cost 50 cents. We would have definitely paid at least 75. The ice cream truck's arrival was always kind of random, which made it exciting. There appeared to be no set schedule. We'd just be in the yard playing lawn darts. You know, the incredibly dangerous toy that had a weighted spike you'd throw across the lawn into a plastic circle or at each other, which was the equivalent of, you know, throwing a Bronze Age Viking spear at your sister. Yeah, lawn darts are illegal now. 
Anyway, we'd be playing lawn darts or freeze tag or in the pool playing Marco Polo when we'd hear the happy but also kind of creepy music box song of the ice cream truck from far off in the distance. Did you hear that? Is that the ice cream truck? Or are we suddenly in a horror movie and, and the slasher is stalking us from the other side of the yard, squinting at us through his hockey mask as he slowly sharpens his machete? No, it's the ice cream truck. Yay! It was so exciting and kind of amazing that a truck showed up selling you exactly what you wanted at that particular moment. It'd be like if a truck cruised around the suburbs around 5 p.m. every day during the COVID pandemic, selling cigarettes and glasses of Chardonnay and maybe ice cream cones with anti-anxiety medication sprinkles. Yeah, I'll take the vanilla chocolate squirrel cone with the clonazepam sprinkles, please. Oh, wait, can you dip the cone in the chocolate Valium sauce? Oh, great, thanks. What's that, 200 bucks? Here, keep the change. So I often mention my hometown of Maynard, Massachusetts on this podcast, and no son of Maynard would dream of discussing ice cream without talking about our iconic roadside ice cream stand, Erickson's Ice Cream. We'd usually go after dinner on a summer night. I remember being there in my pajamas for some reason. My dad would open up the back of our station wagon, which created a bench for my pajama-clad sisters and I to sit and wait impatiently while my dad went and waited in line at the window. I can see him now, his face bathed in a golden glow from the yellow bug-proof light bulbs, his skinny legs sticking out of his dorky dad shorts, his pipe and packet of amphora tobacco bulging out of his shirt pocket and a big bushy black mustache under his nose. Now that I'm a dad myself, I know exactly how he felt on those summer nights at Erickson's. He felt like he was precisely where he needed to be. He was a dad buying his family ice cream on a summer night. It's a feeling I've learned to treasure, and God will I miss it when they finally move out of the house. Oh, I'll enjoy the quiet, but I'll mourn the loss of ice cream nights, of salted caramel smiles, of crooked cookies and cream grins, of hot summer nights cooled by sprinkles of chocolate and rainbow and the giggles of a happy family. Erickson's is still there in Maynard. As a matter of fact, it was just voted this past week number one best ice cream place in Massachusetts by Boston Magazine. Go Erickson's! Stop by some night. You can get my dad's go-to, plain old coffee ice cream on a sugar cone. Or if you're not one of those people who think minty ice cream tastes like toothpaste, give the wintergreen chip a try. That's my go-to. One of these days this summer, the Boudreaux family will be there. I'll be the happiest dad standing in line. And yeah, I will likely be wearing dorky dad shorts. A big part of my high school life was involved in ice cream as I worked for a couple of years as a soda jerk at Brigham's. If you don't know Brigham's, it was a restaurant chain of ice cream and diner food. A sit-down place like a Friendly's or a Steak and Shake. I learned a lot about life working at that Brigham's, particularly the one in Concord Center. Concord was right next door to Maynard, but quite a few rungs up the financial ladder. Maynard was largely blue-collar and middle-class white-collar families. Concord was where the rich people lived. It's a charming, well-heeled Massachusetts town that looks like it's right off a print by Currier and Ives. 
The Brigham's I worked at was right in the middle of Concord Center, easy walking distance from Concord Academy, a prestigious private all-girls high school. The girls from Concord Academy would sometimes come in and order black coffees all around. Then they'd light up their clove cigarettes and proceed to discuss erudite topics like Plato's Republic or The Hidden Meanings in Ulysses by James Joyce. These brainy rich girls were an odd spectacle to me. It was like if a herd of giraffes had just walked in and sat down. I couldn't stop watching and wondering what they'd do next. I'd later encounter many more like them, except men and women, when I attended Boston College. I was never much of a clove, cigarette-smoking, Joyce-quoting intellectual. People like that usually made me feel a combination of a little stupid and a little rough around the edges. I remember when a bright kid named Ethan from my freshman year English literature class raised his hand and put forth the theory that the main character in John Cheever's short story, The Swimmer, who decided to try and swim home from a cocktail party by going from pool to pool across his neighborhood, wasn't doing all that swimming over the course of a single day. That it was, in fact, a metaphor for the man's breakdown into a midlife crisis. The teacher was positively tickled that Ethan had divined that all on his own. I was amazed. I read that whole story and never got much more out of it than the main character liked to go swimming and was probably an alcoholic. Ethan is likely a famous author himself by now, and I, not surprisingly, went into the most unintellectual field for a writer that I could find. Advertising. It was at Brigham's that I discovered that I was not destined for a career where I had to deal politely with the public, mostly because people drove me crazy. There were the tricky ones, like the upscale middle-aged lady who was a regular and who would always try and steal a bag of potato chips. I'd always charge her for them, even though she'd crumpled up the bag and put it into her purse. I remember hearing her complain about me one day to my boss, telling him she didn't like that new boy who was working there. You know, the one with the, the bad skin. Bad skin, huh? That'll be another 50 cents for the chips, you salty snack shoplifting freak. But the people who drove me the most crazy were the indecisive ice cream orderers. It'd be a hot August Saturday night. The place would have a line out the door of people who wanted ice cream. And then some knucklehead would step up to the counter, and it goes something like this. Hi, hi, can I help you, sir? Yeah, uh, where are the flavors? Uh, on the big sign right up there, sir. Oh, oh, great. There they are. Uh... Uh, okay. Ooh, what's a frap? Uh, well, a frap's like a milkshake. It's milk, syrup, and ice cream mixed up in the blender. Okay. Um, I'll have... I'm gonna have... What I would like is... No. Yes. No. That sounds... Um... Would you like some more time, sir? No, 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 no. I know what I want. I know what I want. I'm going to have. I'll take. Um, I'm going to go with uh, vanilla. Vanilla. Yeah, vanilla. Do you want it in a cup or a cone? If a cone, what kind of cone? What size do you want? We have small, medium, and large. Also, do you want jimmies on it? And before you ask, jimmies are like sprinkles. And no, I don't know why they call them jimmies in Boston. But I do know that if one more person tells me the flavor they want without answering the five other questions related to that order, I'm going to scoop the ice cream right into their hands. In fact, sir, give me your hand. There. There's your generic vanilla ice cream order. How do you like that? Actually, I think I'll have chocolate. 
I'm going to take a quick break right now for a word from this week's fake sponsor. Friendly's Ice Cream. Friendly's Ice Cream is, just like Brigham's used to be, a chain of great ice cream and diner food restaurants founded in the state of Massachusetts. However, unlike Brigham's, which went belly up sometime in the 90s, Friendly's restaurants are alive and well. So, what's so great about Friendly's? Just about everything, actually. I used to bring my boys to the Friendly's in the next town until it shut down and became that annoyingly on-trend and overpriced joint, Bear Burger. I find it sad that today's tragically hip shun places like Friendly's, but flock to on-trend joints like Bear Burger. It's not any healthier if it's organic and locally sourced and gluten-free. It's still a cheeseburger. Those are still French fries, even if they are organic sweet potato, and that's still a 2,000-calorie milkshake. You're just spending twice as much for it as part of the, you know, organic food woke tax. Friendly's is the real deal. Home of the Fribble, of course, their super-thick milkshake, and the delicious fried haddock fish jig sandwich. You just have to love a restaurant that calls its fish sandwich the fish jig and of course, we'd save room for the dessert sundaes in cool creature creations like the Monster Mash or the Conehead. My kids' heads would spin around on their necks like propellers, and they'd all hover about a foot off their chairs when they saw their Conehead sundaes headed our way. So next time you're out on a road trip with the kids and you see a Friendly's, don't drive by and hit a drive through Stop the minivan, get out, stretch your legs, and then sit down and have an unrushed, smile-filled meal together at a Friendly's. And be ready for the photo op when the Conehead Sundays are heading towards your table. And don't worry, just tell your hipster friends that Friendly's is cool again. They're just not cool enough to know it yet. And if you like this fake ad, Friendly's, make this old Soda Jerks day and make it a real ad. I recently read an article in the Wall Street Journal that said that during the pandemic, ice cream sales are way, way up. And you know it's way down. Deodorant sales. Not surprising when you think about it. It'll likely stay that way until they invent Zoom with smell-o-vision. But people are buying a lot more ice cream. I've seen it myself. The ice cream shelves in grocery stores, particularly in April and May, were pretty much empty except for the flavors nobody wants. Like strawberry, yuck, and that green monstrosity, pistachio. Hey, who wants some green ice cream that tastes like a nut? <clears throat> My mom used to buy that combo half gallon with vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, and the vanilla and chocolate would be gone in a day. But that skanky strawberry would be kicking around the freezer for weeks, growing ice crystals and taking on a kind of frozen pink fur. Finally, my dad would discover it one night and, and eat it just to prove a point. Nothing wrong with this ice cream at all. You just scrape off these parts here and the rest is perfectly fine. Now, where are my sardines and where'd I put that jar of mustard pickle I bought six months ago? My dad was big on just scraping stuff off of food. What's that, moldy cheese? It's fine. Just scrape that green stuff right off. What's that, a worm crawling out of your green bean from the garden? No big deal. Just scrape it off. Give it to the dog. What'd you drop your bologna sandwich in the sand at the beach? It's fine. Just scrape that sand off. So what if it's a little crunchy? One of the strangest places I've ever eaten ice cream was in the cafeteria of the USS Enterprise. No, 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 not Captain Kirk's Enterprise. The USS Enterprise, a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, now decommissioned. But it was actually in its day the same carrier that they shot the film Top Gun on. I used to make commercials for the Navy, and one time I shot a few while on the Big E, as they called it, sailing up from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to Virginia Beach. 
Apparently, Fort Lauderdale didn't have a dock that could accommodate the carrier, so we had to be transported out to it from shore by tender. This was the same small transport boat that sailors who had had leave in Fort Lauderdale were taking to get back to the ship. Think of it as a lifeboat with a canvas awning over the top and lines of wooden benches underneath. My fellow passengers were all 19-year-old sailors who just partied their brains out for three days in Fort Lauderdale. Woo! For fun, the sailor driving the tender, who was also about 19, steered the boat directly into the biggest waves he could find. The result was the dozen or so pale-faced former partiers now rolling around in the bottom of the boat, upchucking streams of the various red, white, and blue cocktails they'd consumed the night before. It was like they were shooting wet, stinky fireworks out of their mouths. But it was okay. It only took about 45 minutes or so to get to the ship. By the way, if you ever have any doubt that the men and women in the armed services work hard, go spend a day on an aircraft carrier. Those people never stop. I remember thinking after getting up at 4 a.m. and running around the aircraft carrier all morning with the film crew, ooh, ooh, it's 9 a.m. It's only three hours until I can sit down and, and have a soda. That's going to be great. The coolest and most stressful thing I witnessed on that ship was night flight operations, which, as you would imagine, is a pretty intense experience both for the aviators and the entire crew of the aircraft carrier. These fighter jets come roaring out of nowhere from a moonless black sky and careen onto the flight deck in a kind of controlled crash that's about a half a second on either side from being a catastrophe. From below decks, it sounds like there's a multi-vehicle car crash happening right over your head every three minutes or so. This sets a fairly serious tone throughout the ship. The soundtrack to the whole event is a lot less Kenny Loggins singing Danger Zone and a lot more Metallica singing uh, Enter Sandman. But in the plus column, there's free ice cream. Every mess hall seemed like it was equipped with a soft-serve ice cream machine that was always available. The sailors used to refer to the chocolate soft-serve ice cream as dog, you know, because it was brown and the way it swirled onto the bowl, it reminded them of something a dog might leave on the sidewalk. It's a charming moniker that has a little bit ruined my enjoyment of soft-serve chocolate ice cream ever since. I think it makes total sense that in a high-stress environment like an aircraft carrier, the ice cream machine is, well, it's never far away. I've done a fair amount of filming on cruise ships as well, which are pretty much the opposite of aircraft carriers in every way, except possibly for the consumption of ice cream per person. The ice cream consumption on cruise ships is purely for pleasure, whereas on an aircraft carrier, it's a kind of self-soothing ritual. Sticking a spoon into a bowl of chocolate ice cream took all those sailors back to happier times. Even though there was a controlled crash of billion-dollar military aircraft happening just above their heads every few minutes, they at least had a bowl of ice cream, a bowl full of memories of summer nights and feeling loved with the biggest possible disaster being a dropped cone. Even just saying the names makes you smile. Moose Tracks, Chocolate Chip Cookie Dough, Fudge Ripple. You see, there's these pandemics and, and these riots and, and various other cataclysms that well, they kind of keep crashing over our heads. And it's scary. And there's not much we can do about it. Except, you know, strap on a mask and ride it out. 
and have a few bites of something cool and creamy that takes us for a moment to a better place. And for a few fleeting minutes, we're seven years old, and it's summer, and we're sitting on the back of a station wagon in our PJs. And we just got handed some ice cream. And literally, every possible thing is right in the world. And so, even if it's for just as long as it takes for an ice cream cone to melt away, we smile. That's all for this week's episode of The Many Meanderings of the First Gen X Man. I'd like to thank you all very much for listening. Please tell your friends, Gen X and otherwise. We've got listeners on every continent now, including Australia. Good on you, mates. And quite a few loyal listeners in the UK, some of which I'm assuming must be in the royal family. Your Majesty, I'm very pleased you find my meandering somewhat droll. Got some more nice reviews this week. This one from Maisie Boy on Apple Podcasts made me blush. So entertaining, so much fun. I love this podcast. Fun, entertaining, and interesting stories. Love his sense of humor, delivery, voice, and music. Hope he gets some real sponsors, but in the meantime, I'm enjoying the fake ones. A very welcomed escape from the seriousness of the global pandemic and economic downturn. Thank you. Well, thank you, Macy Boy. Your post pretty much made my day. If you like what you heard today, please consider giving a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And if you really, really liked it, why not write a review and I'll give you a shout-out on our next episode. This show is written and produced by me. I'd like to thank this week's fake sponsor, Friendly's Ice Cream, home of the Fribble and other frozen delights. And as always, enormous thanks to Watt White for our show's theme music. I'm Will Boudreau, and I'll see you when we meander again. The many meanderings of the first Gen X man. Excellent.